The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Chris and Adam. Howdy, everybody, and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, June 10th. Frank Stample joined by the returning Scott T. Dubs, Scott White. We've got a loaded show for you today. Got some buy or sell items. Seven double dongs on Wednesday. Of course, we got to talk about Garrett Cole because everybody's talking about Garrett Cole. Can you get anything in a trade for Taiwan Walker? Eh, I'm not sure, but let's try your emails and much more. Scott, you're back. What's up, man? How's life? I am back. I'm good. Enjoyed a visit from my sister's family the past couple days. Hadn't seen them in over a year for reasons that should be obvious. And uh, it was good. It's a good time. Good time had by all. We played some Wingspan. You know Wingspan, Frank? I don't know. Wingspan is a game. It's a machine building game, but the machine is a collection of birds with special abilities. And it sounds really lame. But it's not. It's amazing. Huh. I'm looking I'm looking this up on Google right now, and it seems like there are a lot of moving parts to this game. It's it's top five board game. Board game. I said board game, which may have been a Freudian slip. It's a top five board game. IMHO. All right. So the endorsement there from Scott Wingspan, let's check it out. They are not a sponsor of the podcast, but maybe we can make it happen. Let's talk about some baseball and some standouts from Wednesday. Oh, my good goodness gracious. All right, Scott, where would you like to start? I would like to start with the first start, the start of Tony Gonsolin's season, which uh, didn't go great. Wasn't so great against the Pittsburgh Pirates. He thought maybe he'd have the advantage there. Didn't make it two innings. Didn't make it two innings. Now, I wasn't really wanting to activate him for the Pirates start in my fantasy leagues because even though the matchup was favorable, you know, first start back from a long injury absence, that's always risky. The The second concern was I think he only went, I, I think he topped out at 60 pitches on his minor league rehab assignment, never made it through four innings. Uh, and on his minor league rehab assignment. So I wasn't expecting him to go the minimum five required for a win here, but he only made it one and two thirds innings. Did throw 66 pitches because he issued five walks. And that's especially notable from Tony Gonsolin because he issued seven walks all of last year, seven walks in 46 and two thirds innings last year. So control is kind of like, you know, a selling point for him. Clearly didn't have it in this start. But the velocity seemed fine, comparable to last year. The spin rate, notably, seemed fine, comparable to last year. He did have 10 swinging strikes on those 66 pitches. I think he's still a little rusty. I think he's still a little rusty, but I think he's good. I think uh, your decision to stash him is ultimately going to pay off. I think he'd probably be lined up for two starts next week. Yeah. He should be lined up for two starts next week, so that's gonna be it's gonna be a tricky decision. Yeah, it looks um, like he's slated to face the Phillies at home and the Diamondbacks on the road. Okay, so the Diamondbacks matchup's pretty good. Yeah, uh, that's I, I don't think that's a definite start, but I could see maybe starting him in some leagues depending on what my alternatives were. 
On the season against right-handed pitching, the Phillies are 20th in weighted on base average, and the Diamondbacks are 25th. So according to that, and keep in mind Bryce Harper has missed some time, so that probably factors in there, but the Phillies are not the toughest matchup based on uh, WOBA so far this season against righties. So yeah, it's a a tough situation to figure out. I think he's not going to give you much length. So yeah, that's going to hurt him in both formats because you're not going to be able to get a win for Roto. Obviously, you need the innings for points. We got a tough decision on our hands there. But ultimately, I think the talking point here for Gonsolin is hold, right, Scott? You shouldn't be panic dropping him, even though this came against the Pirates. Right. Yeah, I would not drop him in a single league. All right. And he is 81% rostered, so he still might be available in some 10-team leagues. So I'm still really excited about him. I know this was a not great start, obviously, here against the Pirates. But uh, ultimately... He's got a spot in the rotation as long as he remains healthy, and I think he's going to be really good. So if you can, even deeper leagues, I would I would send out some really low ball offers right now in those leagues if you can. For one, Tony Gonsolin. Scott, the name I wanted to bring up is Tyler O'Neill, who had three more hits on Wednesday, including a double dong. He is now batting 291 with 15 home runs and a 974 OPS on the season and entering Wednesday night. He was averaging 3.2 fantasy points per game, which was tied for 18th among outfielders. Mind you, in points leagues, his worst format. Terrible plate discipline, strikeout rate over 30%, walk rate below 5%. He's 84% rostered, so I don't think that he's available You know, in many leagues outside of the shallowest, where I, I think he kind of needs to be added, Scott, anywhere. Must add no matter what, based on the way that he's playing. Uh, but we have some buy or sell items coming up later on, so... I had one for Tyler O'Neill, buy or sell, that he is a top 40 outfielder rest of season, regardless of format. Rest of season. So I've, you know, the last time we talked about Tyler O'Neill, I I pointed out, obviously, the the play discipline's awful. The barrel rate is unbelievably high. Suspiciously high. Seemingly unsustainably high, and I'm not sure he can, you know, the expected stats are what they are because he's barreling up so many balls, but can he continue to barrel up so many balls all season long? I still have my doubts. Uh, You know, obviously he hasn't come back to earth yet. He's closing in on the major league lead in home runs up to 15 now, and that's with some time missed to injury. So and I and I don't doubt he has power. I I just think it's it's unreasonable to suspect him to barrel balls at that rate all season long, and you know, if that barrel rate cuts in half, which would still be a good barrel rate, what are his numbers going to look like with that strikeout rate? I'm not saying he's going to be useless in a five outfielder league. I, I think that's far fetched, but I, I don't, I don't know that he has staying power in like a three outfielder league. So I think I, I, th- I see Tyler O'Neill as a sell high candidate. Interesting. Okay, so you are. It sounds like you're selling him as a top forty outfielder rest of season. I mean, it's a weak position, and Forty goes. Yeah, I mean, top the yeah, yeah. I I sell not not by a lot, but I sell. Yeah, so I'm looking at the border there of your top forty, and you have Cedric Mullins at 38. I would rather have Mullins over Tyler O'Neill, Brian Reynolds. I think that's a floor versus ceiling kind of thing, but in a points yeah. league, I would stick with Brian Reynolds in in Roto. I think I would probably take Tyler O'Neill over him. Uh, Brandon Lau, yeah, like that's probably. an interesting one, right? Like if you have Brandon Lau, and let's just say Tyler O'Neill was available, wouldn't you rather just take a shot on Tyler O'Neill at this point over Brandon Lau? Yeah, I would. Yeah, so he's he's right on that border of being he's a top right forty border. outfielder the rest of the season, but a sell high according to Scott White. I'm trying to think of a name. Who is a good? Like if you can sell him for Blackman is like always my go-to now for for a buy low even though he's not really a buy low anymore. Uh, if you could make that happen, Scott, you would you would send that out. Yeah, I'd rather have Blackman. If you can trade Tyler O'Neill for Luis Castillo right now, would you do it? I don't if know about if, that. If he's going to regress <laughs> the way that you're saying, Scott, um, I, I think I would. I think I would do that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of lean yes. I guess the reason I hesitate is because I doesn't feel like a doesn't feel like my idea of a sell high trade because you're taking on huge risk with Luis Castillo. Like I I feel like selling high. My goal is to cash in an something unstable for something stable. You know, 
that that is has the potential to be just as good. That's kind of a combo buy low, sell high deal. And but if you're, I'm buy- not totally, I'm not totally comfortable calling Luis Castillo a sell high, a, a buy low at this point. I, I think there's a case to be made, but I'd want it to be lower than O'Neill that I'm buying with. How about Max Freed? Would you do it for Max Freed? But I trade O'Neill for Freed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that. Yeah. That can be one that we're looking at. I, for the record, I think I would do it for Luis Castillo. I understand. There's a lot of risk involved. I think there's a lot of risk involved with both of those players right now, but it's hard to ignore what Tyler O'Neill is doing so far this season, but just does not seem sustainable with that lack of plate discipline that he has uh, displayed all season long. And it's that time of the show where we need to talk about Garrett Cole because obviously he's been a huge topic of conversation and the face of foreign substances in baseball. And he marched into Minnesota to face the twins and Josh Donaldson who singled him out and Garrett Cole was, he was good. I I was about to say very good, but here's, here's why six innings, two runs, zero walks, nine strikeouts. The final line on the surface. That is very good. Only nine swinging strikes on 94 pitches. That's not very Garrett Cole-esque. And he allowed 92.3 mile per hour exit velocity, which is pretty high. League average is right around 89 miles per hour. Uh, the spin rates were down a little bit in this one, Scott. But a little. Nothing egregious, though. Negligible. Yes. I would say. So what does it all mean? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I asked the questions like, on this show, I would, Scott. I would be like, oh, look, he only had nine swinging strikes. What's going on? If the spin rate was down. But, it, you know, the spin rate was down last start in a way that, you know, got kind of worried us. And But then the spin rate was more or less fine in this start. So, I don't know. He struck out nine in six innings. He gave two home runs. There was the only two runs he gave up. It, it was a good start. Except, like, the only the only thing you can point to for Garrett Cole and say... Yeah, but was it really a good start? Was nine swinging strikes, which whatever. I mean, his season-long swinging strike rate is still great. He's thought a lot of swinging strikes in his last start when his spin rate was down. In fact, from what I've seen from big drops in spin rate, and and we've seen big drops in spin rate from a lot of pitchers. There are several who pitched today who had a big drop in spin rate, but there doesn't seem to be, at least so far. You know, we're talking a small sample of starts compared to the season as a whole, but. Uh, from what I've seen this past week, it drops in spin rate. There hasn't been a strong correlation to performance in the starts in which the spin rate dropped. Yeah, how about this for spin rates dropping? Tyler Anderson on Wednesday against the Dodgers. He was fine, a very Tyler Anderson-esque line against a very good lineup in the Dodgers. Six innings, two runs, two walks, two strikeouts. His spin rates on all five of his pitches were down 180-plus RPM. In this start, so what? I again, I don't know, and this isn't this isn't meant to be like a cop out answer. And I know that you know we're supposed to be here to give people advice and our their our opinion on this situation, but we just don't really know because something like this with Tyler Anderson, when I see all these spin rates down for him, I would think, man, he must have got blown up, and he goes out and has a quality start against the Dodgers. So again, I don't really know what to take away from that. So I thought it was interesting and that I would just point it out, but. Tyler Anderson is yeah. still really good. So, I imagine there will be some pitchers who are, they lose, the, the loss of spin rate is going to be a significant thing for them. But, you know, more spin is a good thing on four-seam fastballs. It's a good thing on sliders. It's a good thing on cutters. It's a good thing on curveballs. It's not a good thing on anything else. I don't think. I, I don't think I forgot a pitch in there that it's good for. Yeah, so uh, I, I think on like splitters and changeups, Scott, it, like spin rate doesn't matter. It actually sinkers, is, is better. Sinkers. Yeah, if, sinkers. If it's as well. a pitch that you want to drop, if it's a pitch that you want to settle low in the strike zone, then you, then you 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 want it spinning less as opposed to more. Mm-hmm. Because this is being called now a cheating scandal, which is is funny because I wasn't really thinking of it in that way. It, it just you know it's been such a talking point for so long. Okay, obviously a lot of guys are using the sticky substance to help them get more spin on their pitches, and it's not being enforced. So maybe someday it'll be enforced. But right now, this is this is just what's going on, and everybody knows it. So it it didn't strike me as a scandal. Watching it all unfold. Okay, now we're going to start enforcing it. It just seemed like. A decision that was being made one way earlier, and now it's being made another way, and players have to adjust. That's that's how I was kind of seeing it, but 
I saw the term scandal being raised in media and cheating scandal being raised. And I guess it's technically true. It's just, it's just weird having followed the story so closely for these past few years. That's, that's just not how it feels to me, but I imagine the public at large and, and uh, you know, casual baseball fans, they're, they're going to be super turned off by just the messaging of everything. I, that's kind of straying from the point I was bringing up, but oh, okay. Yeah, I know what it was. So, um, it, you know, one observation when players started getting busted for PEDs and suspended um, was they'd come back and they wouldn't really be that different. And yet, obviously, the league as a whole changed with the crackdown on PEDs. And so I imagine that's how this is going to play out too, where the majority of pitchers who lose spin, we won't see a drastic impact on their numbers. Like they won't go from being a high-end fantasy pitcher to a low-end fantasy pitcher. Maybe a handful will, but by and large, I don't think we'll see that. But we will see like league trends change because of it. Uh, just the, the macro effect will be bigger than the micro effect. That's that's what I'm kind of anticipating. That how this will play out and you know it, it's just me kind of theorizing but that's what i'm thinking right now it's, it's better than what i've got at this point scott so we'll <laughs> take anything that we can get before we hit the news and notes just wanted to remind everybody what is on cbs sports hq this week as always cbs sports hq is the network to start your sports news day at 8 a.m eastern with morning buzz an hour of highlights news and all the days need to know and come back or leave us on all day at 6 p.m where we break down all the night's action and release dozens of picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world how to watch hq it's easy. Go to your Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, really most connected TVs, and look for the CBS Sports app. Fire it up. Check out HQ, the only 24-7 free sports streaming network. News and notes from Wednesday. Sonny Gray went to the IL with a right groin strain. He's set to miss at least two starts. I guess it could wind up being more than that, but it's been... A pretty mass season overall from Sonny Gray. Started the year on the IL, 3.40 ERA, 1.30 whip. It's kind of standard Sonny Gray. He doesn't go that deep into his starts. He's fine. He's like a borderline top 35-ish, top 40 starting pitcher, but he is going to miss some time here. Adalberto Mondesi took batting practice and did some other work on Tuesday. He remains without a timetable after going on the IL with a hamstring injury. Rangers closer Ian Kennedy was placed on the I.O. with a left hamstring strain. Josh Spores has consistently been the eighth inning man during uh, save opportunities that I have noticed. One of my favorites, of course, Demarcus Evans, has been just okay since being called up. The strikeouts are there. He walks quite a few people. It's only been something like eight innings. Scott, if you had to make a prediction, who gets the next save for the Texas Rangers? And does it matter? Well, of course it matters. We don't know. We don't really know how long Kennedy was so good that obviously we expect him to reclaim the role when he gets back. But do we have any indication of the severity of this hamstring injury? It was labeled as mild, is what I yeah. saw. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm skeptical. Anyone will really have a chance to gain a foothold here, and uh, as you know, as good as he was, and and really pick up fantasy value. Uh, so I guess. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. I guess I'm going to contradict myself. <laughs> um, it was really just stalling for time because I have no idea who picks up the next thing. <laughs> Man, I, again, I don't know who's been the eighth inning guy for the Rangers. Looking at these names. the the I looked at their past three saves and... I had to go back a while, man. The Rangers have not win, uh they have not been winning a lot of games. But Josh Spores was the and they, you spell that S B O R Z if you're looking up that name. He was has been the consistent eighth inning setup man for Ian Kennedy in those saves that I have seen. He strikes out guys. The ERA is high. Yeah. But uh the the underlying numbers look better. Uh yeah, I mean I guess he'd be my guess, but again, I I don't think it's going to be I don't think it's going to be anybody who has staying power. Give it to Demarcus Evans, you cowards. Trevor Story <laughs> is likely to be activated on Thursday against the Marlins. Mets manager Luis Rojas said Carlos Carrasco is no longer throwing off a mound. Apparently, Carrasco has not suffered a setback, but is working on regaining his strength in his hamstring before he ramps up intensity. I'm not sure that I buy that. It's been 
A really weird season for Carrasco. He was getting set to go on a rehab assignment in early May, and then they transferred him to the 60-day IL. So I don't know if something happened during that time frame, but the guy has gone through a lot in the past few years. So ultimately, I just hope everything's all right with Carrasco, but uh, it seems like I would be very surprised if we saw him in the first half of the season. That's basically how I would put it. Nelson Cruz was back in the lineup Wednesday, though his knee is still not 100%, according to manager Rocco Baldelli. Alex Verdugo was out of the lineup due to back tightness, and this is something that has consistently been an issue for Alex Verdugo the past couple of seasons. He hasn't missed really extended time on the IL, but he misses games consistently, so... He's still very good, but just keep that in mind. Joey Gallo was out due to right groin tightness. Garrett Cooper went to the IL with a lumbar strain. First base prospect Lewin Diaz was recalled, but is not expected to get much playing time because there's no universal DH in the National League. Alejandro Kirk served as the designated hitter at extended spring training on Wednesday. He's on the IL with a left hip flexor strain. Remember, Alejandro Kirk is... uh, a plump man who is a very good hitter for the Toronto Blue Jays. He is one of their catcher prospects. They have a few catcher prospects, actually. But there was excitement about him in two catcher leagues. So a name to remember. Yeah. I mean, then until the game started. But yeah, they didn't, they didn't really do anything. It, it was in April. It's worth pointing out. And things have been better since April for, for hitters as a whole. And maybe things are about to get a lot better. The spin rate's going down. But yeah, yeah, no, Kirk hit for a lot of average in the minors, makes a lot of contact. Uh, That weak position like catcher, definitely want to monitor his progress, especially since Danny Jansen is now on the IL. Colton Wong is expected back before the end of June, and Paul DeYoung is likely to be activated on Friday. A few prospect updates. I'm going to take a page out of Scott's book here. I have my handy-dandy notepad that I wrote some stats down on today. Uh, Joey Bart who is the catcher prospect for the San Francisco Giants, went two for four with a home run on Tuesday. And on the season, he's batting 358 with five home runs and a 10-18 OPS. However, Scott, I just don't really see how Joey Bart can earn playing time with the Giants given their current setup because they have Brandon Belt at first base. They have Buster Posey, who has been crushing the ball all season long. I just don't really see a way for Joey Bart to get at bats this year. I mean... 34-year-old catcher is hardly invulnerable from injury. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess barring injury, but yeah. And we've seen Brandon Bell go on the IL a couple times already. So I wouldn't rule it out. I'm writing the latest prospect report tonight. It should be up Thursday. And uh, I, I left Joey Bart outside of my top five prospects to stash. But he's not far off. If, if it was a top 10 prospects to stash, he'd probably be on it. Of course, I wonder if any prospects are worth stashing the way prospect call-ups have gone the last couple of years. But that's a different story for a different day. Bobby Witt Jr., we haven't talked about him in a while, but in the month of June, he's batting 333 with three home runs and two steals. And Scott, I don't know if you saw this. It should have been four home runs in June because he hit what was supposed to be his second home run of the game on Tuesday night, but he got called out because apparently he did not touch home plate. Apparently. It was, there was a video of it, and I posted the video, and people were like, he clearly touched home plate, but if you watch him cross home plate, he kind of does like a little sidestep thing, and then he goes back, like he stutters for a second, and it looks like he goes back to touch it, but he doesn't want to, so that's kind of like, yeah, he he missed the plate. He was about to go back and touch it, so I don't know what was going on there. I don't know. I mean, it was a weird angle. The only video I saw from the angle I saw, though, it certainly looked like he touched the plate. It, so, that, that yeah, I mean, at least he got a triple out of it, you know? It, a triple goes on the stat line instead of a home run in that uh, in that instance. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be the difference between him getting promoted or not. Yeah. Um, he's been on fire lately at double A, and so I, I expect he'll move up to triple A pretty soon, and then after that, we'll see. Uh, I was going to note that he has a 28% strikeout this uh, strikeout rate this year, so that is suboptimal for it, Bobby. It has Witt. been better lately, yeah. though, as he's heated up. Yeah, I think it was as as recently as like last week or two weeks ago, it was in the mid 30s in terms of yeah. strikeout rate. So, yeah, down to 28%. He's making more. 20 year old to double A. I mean, that's I, I think overall it's been really impressive for Bobby Witt. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right, let's get into some buy or sell here, Scott. And the first one, buy or sell. 
Alex Bregman is living off the juice balls back in 2019. And this comes on the same night where he had two doubles and a home run. He had a very good game. Uh, but tonight excluded, his last 92 games since the start of last season, he was hurt last year, so we'll factor that in. 268 batting average with just 12 home runs. That is a 19 home run pace over 150 games. So, buy or sell, Scott. Bregman is living off the juice balls from 2019. Buy to an extent. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's better than a 20 homer a year guy. And I, I, I think he's a really good hitter overall. I mean, in terms strikeout to walk rate is amazing. He's going to hit for average. Um, but he may be closer to a 25 to 30 homer guy than the 40 homer guy, which I, you know, I, I don't know that anybody was really predicting him to have another 40 homer season. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, I think if you're holding out hope for that at this point, that's uh, you, you need to change your thinking. And his stack has page is really uninspiring too, but it's, it's, it's always kind, been, yeah, it's kind of a Chris Bryant thing, right? In that way where he's, Always succeeded even with lower stat cast numbers too. So obviously he has the advantage of that short porch in left field in Houston. So that's a big factor for Alex Bregman. He does pull a lot of his fly balls, which ultimately helps his numbers. I think he's going to be better. And I think tonight was probably the start of it. I will also point out that in his career, first half versus second half, first half OPS 866 in his career, second half 945. This guy usually crushes the ball in August and September. So typically a slow starter for Alex Bregman. I think he's going to get better. And I would still be buying, especially in a points league. If you can make that happen, I, I would try to buy Alex Bregman. Scott, Carlos Correa, buy high or sell high? This is an interesting one. Uh, he had two more hits on Wednesday, his last 15 games. He's batting 351 with five home runs. And he has hit second in the lineup seven straight games. So they moved him up in the lineup. And maybe that's helping him with pitches that he's seen right between Altuve and Bregman. It's obviously a great spot to be for Carlos Correa. But he does have an injury history as well. So you factor that in. Would you be looking to buy high or sell high on Carlos Correa? Well, the most recent trade I made in fantasy baseball was just this weekend, and I traded for Carlos Correa. Okay. So I guess that puts me in the buy-high category. Uh, his strikeout rate and his walk rate are both the best they've ever been, but the strikeout rates especially, it's its actually Bregman-like. Uh, his expected batting average is 90th percentile. He's hitting the ball as hard as he's ever hit it. Expected numbers look great. The actual numbers look great. I think he's back to being a high-end shortstop. I am with you there. I think a bona fide top 10 shortstop, regardless of format, rest of season for Carlos Correa. And one of my bold predictions coming in was that he would be this year's version of Corey Seager. Obviously, he hasn't lived up to those expectations yet, but if these last 15 games is, is an indication of anything close to what we're going to get rest of season, then maybe he will live up to that bold prediction. So I would be buying high on Carlos Correa as well. Scott, what level of starting pitcher do you think you would have to offer to acquire Carlos Correa right now? I'm in a 15-team league where I somehow have an abundance of starting pitching, and I've been trying all season to trade with someone for Carlos Correa, and they need pitching. And I have like Aaron Savale, I have Carlos Rodon, I don't think Chris Paddock could get it done, obviously, but do you think Savale does, or do you have to go all the way up to someone like Rodon? What do you think? Oh, I think I think Savale could. His numbers have gotten a little worse here recently, so you you missed your chance to sell yeah. as high as you possibly could on him. But you know, particularly if it's if the if the person who has Correa is like really hurting for pitching, then I think Savale could get it done, and I think that would be a great use of him. Let's see, who do I have in that same range? I mean, because, okay, so I'm looking at Correa is actually the third highest scoring shortstop in in, in head-to-head point scoring. Wow. Now. That's very good. As as he, he's actually passed Bogarts. <laughs> wow. In, in overall fantasy points and per game production, Correa is now ahead of Bogarts. Damn. So it's gonna probably, it's probably gonna be hard to get him. Would, uh, probably would, is, yeah. Would you tr- um, would you trade Rodon or or is that too much? I'd have to have a really deep pitching staff and a weak offense. Like if I need that trade, I could do I could see doing it in, in part because 
I feel like they're going to have to curtail Rodon's innings at some point. Yeah, that's that's the only reason I'd even consider it is is kind of you're selling high on Rodon too. But obviously, if 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 we could take Rodon entirely at face value, then it would be too much. Adolis Garcia over his last 15 games has slowed down quite a bit. 228 batting average with a 605 OPS. He still does have two homers and two steals during that span. So he's making things happen. Scott, buy or sell that you should trade Adolis Garcia while you still can. Yeah, I mean, I, I have more confidence in him than O'Neal. And O'Neal's kind of brought their numbers so that they're similar. I'd rather trade O'Neal of the two of them. I, I don't... I, I think Garcia is going to be, remain a pretty useful source of home runs all year. Like you can't expect him to maintain his May pace all season long. But I think, technically speaking, he's probably a sell high. His numbers are more likely to get worse than hold steady from here. So I don't know. I, I guess I I kind of dispute the wording of well you can, mm-hmm. but I I do think I do think if you can get face value for him right now that you're probably going to benefit from that in the long run. I know that he is ranked very highly, particularly in Roto with what he's done in terms of hitting home runs and stealing bases so far this season, but he is still ranked as a top 20 player. So look, you're not going to get top 20 value in return for him, but if you can get a, a top 40 player, rest of season out of Adolis Garcia. And again, that comes back to selling high, the sell high aspect of it. Then yeah, it's something that I would look into doing. Uh, I still do think he's going to hit for a lot of power. And I think he's still going to run quite a bit because that is what the Rangers do. They, the Rangers in the AL, the Padres in the NL, two of the most aggressive teams in baseball on the base path. So sell high while you can on Adolis Garcia, but don't just sell him for anything. Nathan Avaldi, not great, Bob. Against the Astros, five and two-thirds, 11 hits, five earned, three walks. In his first three starts of the season, a 2.08 ERA. His next 10 starts, a 4.75 ERA. That is tonight included. Scott, buy or sell that Nathan Avaldi is droppable in 12-team leagues. I actually dropped him a few turns ago in one, oh, wow. and he remained out there. And then he his previous two starts before this one were pretty good, so I picked him up again. <laughs> I'd say he's right on the fringes there in a 12-team league. I'm reluctant to drop him again after this start. And I'll point out he has a 357 XFIP. It's pretty good. He uh, swinging strike rate, I believe, is... uh, Actually, last year was better, but both 2020 and 2021 have been much better than his career as a whole. So there are some things to like here. For Nathan Avaldi, I just think you have to know he's... You have to take the good with the bad and realize he's just a mid-class pitcher. I was surprised to find out, though. I mean, Avaldi, after this start, his ERA is 4.11. His whip is 1.29. Adam Wainwright's ERA is 4.19. His whip is 1.22. Wainwright had a good start today. So their ERA and whip are basically identical. Wainwright and Avaldi, and I would have assumed Avaldi's numbers were much better. Avaldi's K rates a little better, not that much. Their numbers, their, their stat lines are almost identical. It, you know, win-loss record is a big difference of all these seven and three, which is probably why the people who have him in fantasy are pretty satisfied overall. For Avaldi, I, I would sell that he is droppable in a vacuum. For the right player, of course. I think anyone who's struggling this bad can be droppable, but I think you just kind of have to pick and, pick and choose your spots, right? Like a one-star week against the Astros... You probably shouldn't have been starting him in that spot anyway. Next week, he's in line for two starts. The Blue Jays in Fenway and at the Kansas City Royals. So a two-start week like that, Scott, how would you feel about starting him? Points league, yes. Okay. Categories league, it just it kind of depends what categories you're you're most angling for. Wins and strikeouts probably lean that way. If you're if you're more concerned about preserving ERA and whip, then maybe you sit him. Well, while we're on the topic of Nathan Valdi being droppable, would you drop him for Austin Gomber, who continues this run of success at the Marlins on Wednesday? Five innings, one run, zero walks, five strikeouts. His last eight starts, this was since he got blown up, the start after that, he has a 2.59 ERA, Austin Gomber does, with 48 strikeouts to just four walks. 
over 45 and a third innings pitched. He is 59% rostered. Scott, buy or sell, Austin Gomber is a must-add. And would you drop a Valdi for him? I think it's fine to add Gomber. I liked him as a sleeper pitcher this week, even with just the one start. And obviously, he's on a good run, like you've said. But he does have the great misfortune of <laughs> pitching his home games in Colorado. And it's just it's just hard to get around that. It, his starts at Colorado this year, uh, the very first one was terrible. He walked seven. And that's a big reason why his season-long walk rate is so skewed. But the other three starts at home have been great. I just don't trust that to continue. I don't really, I'll never feel comfortable starting Austin Gomber at home. And the thing that often happens with Rockies pitchers is they get rattled at Coors Field a couple times. They start, it's, it's really hard when you're getting beat up to just stick to the same approach. So they can really, they can really get in their own heads and mess themselves up and become just a bad pitcher everywhere because of it. I, 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 I'm not going to endorse Gomber that strongly because of that. But I do think with the right matchups right now, he looks he looks pretty usable. So you are selling him as a must add. Yes. Would you drop I, would you drop Nathan Avaldi for him? No. And what if I told you that he is a two star pitcher next week, Scott, but both of his starts are in Coors Field against the Padres and the Brewers? Uh I, I think I think the only format I'd consider it in is a points league. All right, let's move on to our final buy or sell item here, and it's Miguel Andujar. Now has five home runs over his last eight games. I brought his name up a bunch recently, but he's still only 22% rostered, so I think we need to keep talking about him as, as long as he's performing this way. And the overall numbers, they still don't look great for Andujar on the season, but his, he had a 268 XBA, 460 X slug, and a career-high 46% hard hit rate Entering Wednesday, I would imagine those numbers went up after hitting another home run. He added two hits as well, and he has started 10 of the last 11 games for the Yankees, so it looks like he has taken that starting left field job away from Clint Frazier. So, Scott, buy or sell, Andujar, who is 22% rostered, is a must-add. No, not a must-add. I added him in a couple of 15-team leagues. The thing is... I really liked what he was offensively. Obviously, he wasn't a good defender in 2018, his rookie season, when he hit 297 with 27 homers, 92 RBI. And I liked him as a hitter. His strikeout rate was only 16%. You know, it just, it just looked like a really strong profile for average with enough power to for, for it to hold up, you know? But what he's doing now, the strikeout rate is... Higher. It's close to 25%. He's also putting the ball on the ground over 50% of the time. That's much worse. So it's kind of surprising he's on this stretch with a lot of home runs. You know, in those five outfielder leagues, some of them are pretty desperate for offense. I'm not going to lie. So it doesn't, It just a glimmer of something a hitter is showing will be enough for me to act on it in those deeper leagues, in those five outfielder leagues. And so that's where I am with Andujar. Because of what he's shown in the past, I think there's a pretty good chance he cuts down on those strikeouts and gets back to being somebody who can really help in batting average. But he hasn't shown that yet this year. In 12-team five outfielder leagues, Scott, I think if you're desperate for an outfielder, you could probably add him there as well. But three outfielder leagues... Not yet, not yet for Andujar, but he's coming around. He's he's been very good so far for the Yankees. So we'll uh, we'll continue to monitor him in those shallower leagues. And before we hit the break, just want to remind everyone: look, summer is just about here, which means you have you might have less time moving forward. Of course, we'd love for you to continue listening to this full length podcast. But if there's ever a time that you can't, remember that we have a five minute podcast as well: fantasy baseball today and five every Monday through Friday. We highlight the top performers, waiver ads, bullpen notes, and more. Make sure to download and follow FBT and 5 wherever you find this podcast. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to talk about double dongs. We're going to rank some waiver wire starting pitchers. Can you trade Taiwan Walker for anything? We'll talk about it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today in... Not in 5. You know, I'm all over the place, guy. We'll be right back. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so let's uh, highlight some players who had double dongs. There were seven of them on Wednesday, and you know where we got to start. And, of course, I don't have the soundbite ready. Why would I take that out of my little cachet thing here? I was going to play the Giancarlo Stanton soundbite, but I don't have it ready to go. So I apologize. I know many people probably don't want to hear it anyway. Stanton has been brutal since he's returned from the IL, but this was a very welcome sight. Obviously, Scott hit two home runs on Wednesday against the Minnesota Twins. One of them was an absolute mammoth home run. So hopefully a sign of things to come for Stanton. Justin Turner went three for five with a double dong as well. He's up to 11 home runs. The batting average all the way down to 274. It seems like in the blink of an eye, this guy was batting 350. Now it's down to 274. So obviously we're not dropping Justin Turner, Scott, but you know we were expecting his numbers to drop from where they were earlier in the season, obviously. Yeah, we were, and it's happened. And uh, I, think we, I think we called him a sell high at the time, so hopefully you listened. Hopefully you did listen. Jorge Polanco in that same game opposite John Carlos Stanton had a double dong. He is 73% rostered, has second base and shortstop eligibility on CBS. And he's coming around slowly. Last 15 games, 268 batting average with five home runs during that span. So I think if you play in shallower leagues and you're in need of a middle infielder, Jorge Polanco, someone you could look at. And then three names here that... I don't really know if there's much that we can add. Billy McKinney for the Mets had three hits, a uh, double dong in Camden Yards against the Orioles. He has started nine of the last 10 games for them. So in NL only leagues, sure. Uh, Kevin Pillar had three hits, including a double dong. He's batting 262 on the season. This is more of that 15-team league or deeper, five outfielders. Sure, Kevin Pillar, veteran. We know what he is at this point. And Ryan Zimmerman, who just continues to crush left-handed pitching. I'm not going to tell anyone to add Ryan Zimmerman, obviously, Scott, but I think more so this just continues to affect Josh Bell and solidifies that when they are in a park that does not have a DH, Josh Bell is going to continue to lose playing time to Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah. I I had a couple leagues this weekend when I was doing my waiver claims where I had really no choice, but uh, for the past few weeks, I had no choice but to start Josh Bell. I kind of missed my chance at any other first baseman on the waiver wire, and I knew Josh Bell was not a good option to start, but there was nobody else. So Paven Smith emerging on the waiver wire this past week, that inspired me to replace Bell with him. I think in one league, I just straight up dropped Bell for him, but in another league, you know, it gave me an excuse to bench Bell. Of course, Paven Smith sat today, so that wasn't great. And, and look, Paven Smith has a limited ceiling. He's not going to provide the power of most corner infielders, but he's going to hit for average. He's going to score. Uh, I think he's been batting lower in the lineup right now, but his season-long run total is high because he spent some time in the leadoff spot. And uh, I think he's going to be pretty useful. And Bell really hasn't been, and I'm beginning to lose faith that he will. I think that is definitely fair to say of Josh Bell. He's been better since the start of May, but still overall hasn't been the Josh Bell that we were hoping he would be this season. Let's rank these waiver wire starting pitchers, Scott. More so for deeper leagues, I would say, but it's Tucker Davidson versus Vladimir Gutierrez. They both had pretty good starts on Wednesday. Tucker Davidson at the Phillies, six shutout, four hits, one walk, four strikeouts. I love that he only walked one in this start. His last time out, he walked five, and control has been his issue in the minors. Again, that's Tucker Davidson. He is... 28% rostered in line for two starts next week versus the Red Sox and the Cardinals. And Vladimir Gutierrez, who was an okay-ish prospect for the Cincinnati Reds, made his third start of the season against the Brewers. Seven innings, two runs, three walks, seven strikeouts. The ERA now at 2.65 with a 1.12 whip. He is 14% rostered, has two starts next week at the Brewers. And at the Padres, which one do you like more, Scott? Davidson or Gutierrez? I think Davidson has the higher ceiling. Gutierrez, 
serves up a lot of fly balls. That's why he has a 515 XFIP, and that's going to be a problem given his home park. Uh, and I, he doesn't have the put-away pitch like Davidson does with that slider. Now, it's interesting. Davidson was a pitcher whose spin rates were way down in this most recent start, and you see all the trouble it caused him. Uh, he actually <laughs> issued one walk. And he, and he still had 13 swinging strikes. He still had 10 swinging strikes on just the slider. So, you know, I was reading up a little bit on um, on uh, the, the way that using sticky substances benefits starting pitchers. And one way is that they're able to throw sliders specifically more forcefully because they they feel like they can control it better. So that that was just interesting to see with Davidson that he lost he lost a lot of spin on his pitches and yet the slider was still super effective for him. You know, if anything, the control appeared to be better. So yeah, I like Davidson more than Gutierrez. I, I really don't have much hope for Gutierrez in the long run. In much deeper leagues, this is just a name to remember. Sam Long made his major league debut for the San Francisco Giants as a follower, a bulk reliever, and he went four innings, one run, one walk, seven strikeouts with 10 swinging strikes on 69 pitches, and in his minor league career, he's been very good. 2.83 ERA, 1.12 whip. He is 4% rostered, so and only, sure, pick him up, see where it goes. Uh, anything deeper than that, put him on the scout team. The name there, Sam Long. His numbers were ridiculous at AAA this, you know, prior to this promotion. 199 ERA, 0.79 whip, 14.7 Ks per nine. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of bounced around a few different organizations. Doesn't look like much of a prospect, but it was interesting that he was that good at AAA. And then his first appearance here was really good. So put him on the scout team, Sam Long. <laughs> put him on the scout team. Sell high on Taiwan Walker. Can we get anything for him, Scott? He was very good. Not going to take anything away from him. Seven innings, one run, nine strikeouts to just one walk against the Orioles on Wednesday. Ten swinging strikes on 93 pitches. He's got a 2.07 ERA on the season. That comes with a 4.01 XFIP. And entering the start, he had a 9.3% swinging strike rate. That league average is around 11% usually. So he's decently below that. I just... There's not enough here for me to buy into what Tywan Walker has done on the surface. And I think that if you can sell him for anything that I would look into doing it, um, you know, a deeper buy low that I like right now is actually Alex Kirilov in redraft leagues. I, can you make that happen? You think Scott Tywan Walker for Alex Kirilov? Oh, I think you could. I, I don't know that I'd agree with you that I want to. Okay. I don't. It, it is a bad swinging strike rate. And you know I love swinging strike rate. <laughs> it is also the same swinging strike rate exactly as Aaron Savale and Kyle Hendricks, both of whom we think of as pretty good pitchers. It's actually a better swinging strike rate than Zach Greinke. So it is possible to succeed with that strike rate. You know, obviously Taiwan Walker with the 207 ERA is overperforming. But just given his history, I think... I think he's somebody we can reliably expect to overperform his XFIP by maybe a full run. Because that's pretty much, you, you look at his history, that's basically always what he's done. So, you know, low three ZRA for Taiwan Walker rest of the way, mid threes at worst. I don't know. I, I think he's going to be very Savale like. The difference between someone like Walker and Savale or Hendrick Scott is that. He walks so many batters. He didn't in this start, but after this start, he's still averaging 3.5 walks per nine. So when you walk that many batters and you don't get strikeouts to mitigate it and you don't get a lot of ground balls, he's at a 39% ground ball rate. It's all of those things kind of factored together leads me to believe, meh, on Taiwan Walker. And especially if balls start to fly out a little bit more as the weather heats up. I don't know, man. I'm... Definitely more out on him than you are. We've kind of done an about face because I think earlier in the season I was talking up Taiwan Walker and now you're defending him a little bit more. So it's interesting to see. But uh, yeah, I would try and sell him yeah. for, I don't know. I don't know what well, you can what, get from. But What's weird about Taiwan Walker is he's been a really good ground ball pitcher in the past. Or maybe that's overstating it. He's been a, he's been a pretty good ground ball pitcher in the past and he hasn't been this year. And so 
I could see how he's had good home run luck. But again, he's not supposed to have a 207 ERA. That's that's obvious. But actually, the 401 XFIP would be the second lowest XFIP he's ever had. And he's had some pretty good seasons in the past. So, I don't know. He's He's a difficult pitcher to evaluate. I'm not saying he's not a sell high, but like he's not just a dump him guy either, I don't think. So would you try to sell him for something higher than Alex Kirilov? Was was that the takeaway? Because Kirilov's stack well, numbers are pretty good. That's thing. I, I don't know how usable Kirilov's going to be. Like, Taiwan Walker certainly feels much more usable than Kirilov right now. You know, obviously there's a chance Kirilov kind of takes off midseason given the pedigree, but yeah, I, I don't... I. I feel like Walker's worth more than that right now. All right. So if you're going to try and sell high, shoot for something better than Alex Kirilov. A few deeper waiver wire options here, Scott. If you need a middle infielder, Willie Adamas or J.P. Crawford, both are playing pretty well right now. We spoke a little bit about Crawford. Chris and I did last night, but he went two for four with two walks, one run and one RBI on Wednesday. And he has let off in eight straight games. And over his last 15, he's betting 357, two homers, one steal. And he plays seven games next week. Willie Adamas just went four for four. And since joining the Brewers, he's betting 300 with three homers in 17 games. So if you needed a middle infielder, Scott, J.P. Crawford or Willie Adamas? Definitely Adamas looking at his career numbers away from Tropicana Field. He might be a different player now that he's out off the race, especially, you know, you can't get a much more drastic park shift than that going to Miller Park. I, I, I think there's a chance Willie Adamas really improves with this move. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I think there's a chance. There's some leftover here, Scott. I'll just throw a few names your way, and if there's anything you'd like to add about them. Alec Manoa made his third start of the season on Wednesday. He was fine. Five innings, two runs, one earned, two walks, 14 uh, four strikeouts, not 14. 14 would have been awesome. Uh, but he did have 13 swinging strikes on 90 pitches. Mark Canna, been awesome. The guy's 49 runs scored. You Darvish, another great start. Pete Alonzo's coming around. He is 13 for 35 since returning from the IL. Casey Mines, a quality start in seven of his last eight starts. Ryan Meltapia has 16 hits over his last seven games. Adam Wainwright was great which you have mentioned. Uh, he now has a 2.62 ERA at home this season in eight starts there. So I think you can legitimately start him at home. Uh, and Ozzy Albies had three more hits over his last 37 games. He's batting 306 with six homers and four steals. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize he had turned things around so much. So that's interesting. Casey Mize I want to point this out for Casey Mize. He's a, he's a pitcher whose spin rates were down pretty significantly across the board. Mm. But he had 12 whiffs. Uh, one of the pitches that this, the, the, the spin rate was down on the most was the splitter. It was down 174 RPM from his league average. And that's a pitch, see, that, that probably improves with a lower spin rate. Uh, so, you know, Mize turned in his usual quality start. He got 12 whiffs. He actually has a 12.7% swinging strike rate in his last five starts, which is pretty good. It's not elite, but it's, you know, some pitchers that we think of an elite as elite have that kind of swinging strike rate. So it seems like he's getting better, Casey Mize. You know, there's, there's still the, the lingering innings question. They've talked about how they're going to pull back on those innings at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. Mize is getting more usable with every start, I feel like. Yeah, and I, I've kind of downplayed him throughout this stretch because of they openly admitted that they were going to limit him throughout the summer months. So I don't know when that's going to be, but it hasn't come close anywhere recently, especially over these last eight starts where he's been uh, very good. So. I think you can, I wouldn't call him a must-start starting pitcher, but I, I no. he's getting there. He's he's climbing up. He's He's been very good. The call to the yeah. pen, some bullpen updates. And for the Giants, Tyler Rogers blew the save in the ninth inning. He allowed one run. And then Jake McGee took the loss in the 10th. For the Rockies, Daniel Bard got his eighth save of the season. He's had seven straight scoreless appearance. And two of those were actually multi-inning appearances. Scott, how would you rank Daniel Bard, Lucas Sims, 
and Taylor Rogers from the Twins all are between 42 and 50% rostered on CBS. Oh, well, that's tough because Bard... Bard, Bard has... Bard has issues, but one of them isn't job security. So yeah. the other two, Sims and Rogers, have major questions about how consistently they're going to get, uh, how, how often they're going to be the guy that their team turns to for saves. I think I actually go Bard first right now, just because I'm not totally sold the Reds are going to stick with Sims, and I'm definitely not sold the Twins are going to stick with Rogers. So I'd, I'd put them in that order, Bard, Sims, and Rogers. But they're all basically in the same range. For the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell got his 15th save. Kenley Jansen got his 14th save for the Dodgers. And in that game between the Nationals and Rays, it was a pretty wild game. Uh, Brad Hand allowed two runs over two innings pitched, and he picked up the win. And Diego Castillo actually allowed two runs. One of those was earned. He was... I'm sure affected by the runner who starts on second base because they were in extras. Uh, and Diego Castillo wound up, wound up taking the loss in that game. To stream or not to stream for Thursday, we'll start with Scott. Both of these lists are, man, you know, you usually hate this segment, this part of the show, but I'm telling, I'm, I'm just warning you, I'm giving you a heads up beforehand. It's even worse than usual. Yes, it's very bad. For Thursday, Justice Sheffield at the Tigers, Mike Miner at the A's. Chichi Gonzalez at the Marlins, J-Hab versus the Yankees, Anthony DiScalfani, who I don't think qualifies because he's too rostered, and Tyler Alexander versus the Mariners. Ah, uh, DiScalfani, who doesn't qualify because he's too rostered. Um, Sheffield and Minor. Those, those are definitely the three of this list, but I wouldn't say I'm excited about any of them. I agree with you. Honestly, if you want to skip streamers for the next two days, now is... The time to do it. For Friday, Keegan Aiken at the Tampa Bay Rays. Garrett Richards versus the Blue Jays. Merrill Kelly versus the Angels. Brady Singer at Oakland. Cole Irvin versus the Royals. And Mike Fultonevich at the Dodgers. Oh, heck no. Heck no. <laughs> to Fulty at the Dodgers. Uh, Cole Irvin versus the Royals. Seems okay-ish. Uh, um, I don't want any of the other. Singer at... Oakland, Richards versus Toronto. Yikes. Sure, again, please skip streaming starting pitchers for the next couple of days. We'll wrap up with some emails here. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com is the email address if you want to send some of those in. This one's from Ian. Who do you think has a better chance of turning things around and becoming a productive fantasy player this season? Andrew Vaughn or Alex Kirilov? Kirilov. I would agree with you for reasons that I have already mentioned. But the the underlying numbers, the stack-ass numbers for Kirilov are pretty good. I mean, it just the actual numbers haven't been great. 248 batting average, four homers for him. But that also comes with... My stack-ass page is not loading, so... Oh, here we go. 301 expected batting average and a 584 expected slug. Those are... Holy crap, you weren't kidding. Wow. Scott, I told you, man. Trade Taiwan Walker for Alex Kirilov. <laughs> <laughs> I still think you could do better for Walker than that, but that is that is surprising how good those expected stats are for Kirilov. Man, to put, man, you don't you don't see a three hundred one xba for much of anybody, yeah. much less than five eighty four x slug. To put that in perspective, Andrew Vaughn two thirty six xba four forty six x slug. He is hitting the ball extremely hard. Launch angle is not great. 27% strikeout rate. I think Vaughn can get better based on how hard he's hitting the ball, but Kirilov, man, the proof is in the, not in the numbers, it's in the underlying numbers. That's where the proof is. Uh, from Brad in New Jersey, good evening, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Disney character, Scott? <laughs> um, I've always been partial to Goofy. Gorsh. <laughs> Yeah. Did you ever watch the extremely goofy movies growing up? Um I think I saw a, a goofy movie. Yeah. I think I saw that. It's a leaning tower of Chisa. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. Paulie Shore. Let's let's do it. 
<laughs> you love Polly Shore more than anybody else. Dude, Polly Shore has ever loved Polly Shore. I I watched kind of strange. I watched the movie. I, I and mind you, everyone knows I haven't seen movies. I watched the movie Son in Law so many times growing up. That <laughs> and Encino Man. So I just I have had a ton of exposure to Polly Shore way more than probably anybody should have. Uh, Devin Williams <laughs> has started to look better. Is he still worth rostering in a 12-team saves plus holds leagues? Uh, Devin Williams got off to a slow start. His last 15 appearances since the beginning of May, 3.29 ERA. Okay, 1.39 whip. Not so good. 26 strikeouts in 13.2 innings pitched. Awesome. Five holds during that time. So the holds have been there for Devin Williams. And we don't usually talk about holds leaders, Scott, so I thought I would mention... Uh, the leaders in baseball, Andrew Chafin for the Cubs has 15. Victor Gonzalez for the Dodgers has 13. A.J. Minter for the Braves has 13. Uh, Blake Trinan for the Dodgers has 12. Giovanni Gallegos for the Cardinals has 11. And Daniel Hudson for the Nationals also has 11. So would you hold Devin Williams in a saves plus holds league, Scott? I think I would, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I He's looked much better. He's got to get the walks down, but... Uh, outside of the whip, everything else looks pretty good there for him. This last one's from David. 10-team points league. Keep 10 forever. No penalties. Trade away Jack Flaherty, receive Jesus Lazardo and Jared Kelnick. <sighs> points league. So Keep 10 forever. Forever. I want to do it. I want to do it. I don't... Mm, yeah. I want to do it. You, you know, like maybe if it was a 15 league, keep 10 forever, then, you know, it's hard. It's hard to fill those 10 spots with players of the long-term caliber of Luzardo and Kelnick. But I mean, Flaherty, you know, is a stud in a 10 team league and it's probably going to be pretty good competition for those 10 keeper spots in a league so shallow. So I want to do it. I agree with you. Jack Flaherty went healthy, one of the 15 best starting pitchers in fantasy baseball. So, obviously, uh, those aces are very very valuable, especially in a points league. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. 